I think I'm starting to get old. <laughs> Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. So I'm sitting here today with Kristen of Urban Craft Uprising, and we've been chatting without hitting the record button. So now we're going to let you guys all in on the conversation. So Kristen, why don't you start over and give us a little of your backstory? <laughs> all right. Um, hello, my name is Kristen, and I have been a maker for a very long time. Uh, I've been a vendor for about 25 years, I would say, at various shows around the country, I guess. Um, And then I opened a store in um, Seattle, downtown Seattle, next to the Moore Theater called Schmancy and opened that in 2004. And then in 2008, I don't know if you remember, but it wasn't a great time. And so... I thought to myself, I need a job because the items that I sold were, you know, did not feed you or were not necessary to living, um, sure. but were really fun. So um, I, my friend Moxie, who was the president of Urban Craft at the time, she sent me a, a job description and said, hey, do you know anyone that might want this job, could do this job? And I said, I could do this job. I do it for my store. It was for PR and marketing. And so I applied for the job and I got the job. And then through a series of events, there were four of us at the time. And then uh, Moxie left to pursue, well, she got an installation at the Bellevue Art Museum, which was great, but obviously very time consuming. So she left And so then it became two of us. And so at the time that I started, Urban Craft was one event a year. And then we've grown to, I mean, this is, I'll probably talk more on like before COVID times. Sure. We did um, (laughs) over 30 events a year. You went from one event a year to 30. Yes. So. Wow. Okay. Well, let's let me let me pause. I'd like to know a little bit more about your crafting background. So, I'm sitting here and I'm cheating and reading a bio about you, but I see published books. I see this name that you don't hear very often, Martha Stewart. Uh, you know things like that. So, how did you get started in in crafting? What was the inspiration for you to start doing stuff? I mean. Were you doing this as a little kid? Um, yeah, yeah. And what sort of stuff do you like to do? What's your what's your preferred medium to play around with? How's that? So I have done it since I was a little kid. I actually had my first crafty business when I think I was 12 or something like that. Whatever the age is between fifth grade and sixth grade. Okay. So I met some friends in at a camp. And we made friendship bracelets, which, you know, were all the rage. Right. And um, so we sold them to campers 
And I think we each made $13 at the time, at the end of the season. And I was like, this is amazing. And I think embroidery floss was like 12 cents a skein. So, um, you know, it like fed my hobby, I guess. Sure. And I've done a lot of different kinds of crafts. So I guess I would consider myself an omni crafter. But I do these days seem to lean mostly towards crocheting. Okay. Um, which are most of my books are about. And then um, what I sell at events primarily. Okay. And then, so let's talk about this whole, you, you, you totally glossed over that se- semi-famous, well-known, kidding, Martha. You, so you oh, yeah, were written Martha. up on, yeah, you were written up on, on Martha Stewart? Mm-hmm. Yep. What did that <laughs> What did that do to you? I mean, did, was it, did you get, I'm just curious because it's like, that's a, a huge name in the world of uh, crafting and lifestyle. Yeah, she's, I mean, I had gone to see Martha Stewart film a show uh, in New York with my friend. I forced her to go with me who lives there. And um, it was fascinating because we had to like wear certain colors of clothes and, you know, when you come in, they like seat you based on all this, your clothes. And um, wow. then we were there for the filming of a show and a half. So um, it was actually really, really fun. And it was so cool to see like TV production like that. I mean, Martha Stewart. So, right. you know, they gave you presents. My friend was joking. She's like, I'm going to do this all the time and like sell all my <laughs> swag. Okay. <laughs> um. And so obviously I have a huge love for Martha and then uh, the publisher that did the last book that I did technically is called um, Peanuts, like the Peanuts characters. Right. And so they said, you know, I didn't talk to Martha Stewart. No, no, I know. I understand that. (laughs) That would have been really cool. I figured um, you guys just went out and had coffee together. Yeah, I just want to like make her lunch maybe or something. Well, Um, really, would you want to do that? I feel like I would because I like cooking and I feel fairly confident, especially in COVID times. Like I've elevated my game. So I think I'd be, I mean, I'd be scared, but I would do it, you know, because maybe I could impress her. Um, (laughs) But so... Then the publisher said that they wanted to interview me for, I think it was their blog or their magazine. I can't, honestly, that's horrible. Maybe it was both. I don't remember. It was a while ago. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it was kind of that moment where I was like, okay, I'm done. Like, I can die happy now. Like, I got Fred on Martha's tour. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, it was pretty great. I don't know if it, like, did that much to my actual business or... Okay. Um, but yeah, I don't know if it like made me, it's just like fun to say that quite honestly, I don't know if it's, and it seems, you know, cool to people. Right. I know. I totally get that. I was just curious if it was what the Martha Stewart, Martha Stewart ripple effect might be, you know, you know, it's interesting because I think not just in crafting, but in general, I think today with social media, we think if we can get an influencer of substance to, acknowledge us that our worlds will become different. Yes. And it doesn't, I don't think it really works like that. Yeah. I'm, I think I'm a little old when it comes to that. Like I've never really cracked the code of, 
you know, getting in the eyes of certain people. I think I was better when blogging was a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, at first I was just like, what is blogging and why does anyone care? But then I kind of got on board and started a blog. And that is actually why I got book deals. Um, cause I never actually wrote a book proposal. So that was helpful, but I think we're past blogs now and I'm just not a person that really wants to be on camera. And I think that's now the avenue that people are getting noticed more. Um, I used to like reach out to better read blogs to say, could you promote my book? I'll do a giveaway or something like that. And that worked. I mean, quite often, but Mm -hmm. I think I'm starting to get old. (laughs) (laughs) So I just don't get the influence. You know, the fact that there's like famous YouTubers is like, I just don't understand. So let's look at the difference. We are both on camera and you just said you're not a big fan of it. Neither am I, but you and I are both sitting here looking at each other through our cameras. There's a big difference in old between you and me. I don't (laughs) know. I feel like I just dye my hair. Oh, well, I do too. That's, this is all dyed. Um, Okay. No, in all seriousness, I am kind of with you. The whole video thing escapes me. It just, it just does. And I don't get it, which is why I'm doing a podcast versus saying, you know, a, a, a live stream where we're sitting and doing the exact same thing, but sharing our screens with the world. I just don't do that. But enough about that. So your background, your store, first off, Schmancy, what a great name. Thank you. I just got to say that was a cool, cool name. What did you carry at that store? What was the type of stuff that you were carrying? So I started was it, off Was it as- fancy? Sorry, well, no. Fancy was next door to me, so we were friends. And so oh, Sally, who cool. actually still owns Fancy and is still on Second Avenue, but um, <laughs> I sold toys, vinyl toys. And okay. um, so if you know the name Kid Robot or anything like that, Funko is yeah. here in Seattle or Everett. 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 So mm-hmm. a lot of people know them. So that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, and then... That was before like Kid Robot sold to Urban Outfitters. So was there, it was a very small group of stores in the United States that sold that stuff. So mm-hmm. it actually was pretty good for a while. I mean, I wasn't like, roll. I, I took the bus to work and right. walked to work and that stuff. But it was like paying for itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also, once they started doing more of the Urban Outfitters and it became a little more mainstream, um, then it kind of wasn't like the cash cow anymore. So then I also veered into doing, although I did it before, but um, more handmade products. Mm -hmm. So in line with being a toy store, I started this event called Plush You, which was a plush show, like like stuffed toys Mm -hmm. that – um, became really popular. So people came from different countries and all over oh. the country to attend this event, which was kind of hilarious because my store was, I think, 350 square feet. So everyone would come and they're like, this place is so tiny. And I'm like, I know. And you took an airplane to come here. <laughs> you had more room on the plane <laughs> than you do you're in not the disappointed. Um, but, you know, it was all small things. So it actually worked out and it was super fun. And 
then that's what I have my blog for. And that's how I got my first book deal. Okay. And then you transitioned into working at urban craft uprising. Yeah. So then that happened. And then as things continued to get busier for urban craft, it just, you know, and there was like people leaving and we weren't replacing people so much because it just seemed scarier, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. There had been some moments that weren't great for people. So then we decided to just try to do it, the two of us. But as our work grew, it was really hard to feel like you were stretched between your store and your job that actually was paying you more. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I'd never really made that much money from Schmancy. Um, So... Then I finally, we were working at, we had a section at the Seattle gift show for our makers and me and Lindsay had a lot of time together and she's like, you just don't seem happy in your store for the last two years. Like maybe you should just close and focus on urban craft. And I'm like, okay. And then I don't know, once I decided it was like this huge weight off my shoulders and owning a store is hard and you feel like you put so much into it and then you still get these comments like you're never open or whatever. And it just, you know, it's just hard. It's hard. So I was over it. So then I just went to full time and Lindsay lives in Portland. So most of our events are here in Seattle too. So mm-hmm. I was able to fully focus on urban craft, which I think is ultimately a good thing. So what was it like? So when you, you started, you said it was one event a year. So, I mean, events are not easy to put on. I'm not trying to say that they're easy, but only one event to work on a year, you know, that's 11 months of, of planning and probably one month of on Most the ground chaos. Of doing it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Chaos, chaos. But you went from one to 30. Yeah. They weren't all of the same magnitude as the annual event, right? These were smaller or were these Well, when I started, I said, why don't we have a summer show? So we started having a summer show. And so then we went from one to two. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I think there were a lot of people that kind of liked the way we did things. And so people started asking to have meetings. And honestly, I never knew, like, are you trying to pick my brain or are you trying to, like, work together? So Mm -hmm. finally, after numerous um, meetings like that, I was like, if you want to work together, just like put a proposal together because that will be the easiest way to suss things out and see if it works for us. And so then once we did that, that was with the Seattle street food festival. And I think that may be though. Yeah. And then things kind of snowballed like, Oh, they're hireable. And so we just started working with different organizations. Quite honestly, it's always easiest to work just for ourselves instead mm-hmm. of kind of being a middleman for somebody else. Um, but some of the events are so fun that we have continued to do them. I think mm-hmm. whenever we all learn how to live with COVID safely, because I don't see that going anywhere anytime soon, but we can still like do more then mm-hmm. I think we will think about how we work different or we already have because of COVID. I think it shines some light on how much we work or worked, you know, and how insane it was and mm-hmm. kind of just never get a chance to like catch your breath. So I don't know. Now we're doing less obviously, but it's COVID time. So we'll see what happens in the future. 
So you've got a couple of events coming up in the near, we'll call it the near future at the time of this recording. Yeah. Pick one to talk about first. I'll let you pick which one you want to talk about. So we're doing Gobble Up, which is both in Seattle and in Portland, but the event itself is the same. And so we do a food-based event and we do those because way back in the day, we couldn't really have that many food vendors. And Mm -hmm. then we started getting more and then um, with different rules with the exhibition hall and it just became a very exploding category to the point where we're like, we, we aren't a food show. We are a craft show. So mm-hmm. we decided to have a food focus show. So that's in November 20th here in Seattle. And then okay. on the 13th in Portland. So if I was to attend, yep. what could I expect to see at the gobble up event? Don't say food. That's too easy. Um, <laughs> what sort of, I mean, is this, yeah, just kind of, let's elaborate on that. So what, what I walk, you know, I walk through the door, if you will, what am I going to be greeted with? So you'll be greeted with some of our volunteers, making sure you're vaccinated or um, have a negative test. And then okay. um, you'll walk in. There's, uh like 65 70 vendors some will be outside that are doing like food you can eat on the spot like food trucks Mm -hmm. and then we have all types of i would call it like slow food but Mm -hmm. you know not mass-produced food items so they're really great host gifts which i think are you know, good for holiday seasons. I always buy food for people more now Mm because we all have stuff and we don't maybe need more stuff. But I feel like for like people like my mom, she just likes food a lot more than other kinds of things in a tiny apartment now. So, um, you know, it's everything from like tea to caramels, um, chocolates, vinegars, hot sauces, yeah, just fun. if you're like feeling creative in the kitchen, it's helpful to get new but, products to be inspired. But by. these are from small makers. We're not going to see something from Nally's food there. You know, it's this is all small local vendors who are maybe sharing a commercial kitchen. Yep. Type stuff. So, and there's going to be 60 to 65 ish vendors plus, you know, in addition, so there'll be some food trucks out there so we could, you know, we're not going to have to, nothing's worse than walking through a, a, an event hungry and not being able to eat. So, yeah, for sure. so we got food trucks and all that. So we're going to have, and so where do your vendors come from? Are they, are they primarily Washington based? I mean, the Oregon one, I know we're, we're joking. Portland's dead to me, but um, <laughs> kidding. But for the Seattle and the shows in Seattle, right? Mm-hmm, and, at Magnuson. At, at Magnuson. Okay. So are these mostly Washington state based vendors that are going to be there? I would say they're Washington based and Oregon based. So we have quite a few people that come up. We do keep this as a Pacific Northwest only show. um, Whereas like urban craft is from all over the country. Oh, okay. Okay. And we'll come, we'll we'll talk about urban craft. Okay. So. And the event runs. What's and we'll put a link in the show notes so somebody's looking at it on the website they can get the stuff. But uh, for somebody who's listening, like on their phone, uh, let's 
Give me the date and the times again so that they have that just in case. So the show in Seattle at Magnuson Hangar 30 is on December. I mean, sorry, November 20th. And mm-hmm. I, oh my gosh, I should know the time. And she's stumbling, folks. I'm going to make fun of her while she looks this up. <laughs> I think it's 11 to way. 6. I'm almost positive. Okay. And then okay. um, same time for Portland. And, and, that's and the Portland date is what is the Portland date? November 13th. Okay. And are these events, do you charge for them? Or are they free, free for the public? They're free to the public. Um, okay. You know, we will probably, we'll have protocols for COVID. So you might have to wait in a longer line than normally to get okay. in, depending on how many people are in the building at that point in time. Sure. But um, those are only one day shows, but they are free. And um, we have an event right for both. So you can, you get a ticket, but it's um, more to give an idea. The food show is a little bit harder in the sense that, you know, people are making these food items and prepping for it. It's harder to know how much to prepare for if you don't really have a number. And sure. we, know, you know, do have a estimated, but it's good to give that information to our vendors. So we always do the event, right. To kind of have a better gauge of how many people to it that might be attending. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Sure. In years past, right. Think, think in the past. I put four times. So name something that you found at the gobble up that was like, like you're like, Oh, I had not thought about like that before. Like, you know, was there something that was there somebody that brought something to the, to the event and you're like, that's kind of cool. Like, you know, some, I don't want to give you too many hints, but just cause I don't know what you like. So, I mean, it could have been, you know, a, a jalapeno infused hot sauce. I mean, haha, but you get the idea. What sort of, was there been something that like sparked like, like, wow, that's cool to you. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I use in my kitchen and I am a pretty, I'm like, I I cook a lot now and a lot of the things that I use in my kitchen are things that have been from vendors, some of which do not make their, you know, they're like a company that is no longer doing things anymore. But, um, I really love this coffee hot sauce. Um, like oil, I mean, and I put that, I make ramen a lot. And so we use that in our ramen and she's a maker in Portland. And then uh, there's Elliot's adult nut butter, which is a peanut butter that you can now find at QFC and stuff like that. But Uh it's so good. And um, I highly recommend all of them, but my favorite is the Thai one. So that's like, I Ooh. eat it with for peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, but then I also, um, you know, we'll use it for cooking. Um, so so yeah. I want to tease you because I, I, that's just the way I am to people, <laughs> but I'm going to kind of give you back some of your words. You said you like to cook, I do. right? But yet so far you've shared peanut butter, jelly sandwiches and ramen. I'm just going to point out. I'm going to point out. I'm just going to point out that you've only mentioned peanut butter and jelly and ramen. 
Well, I also really love these salts by Beautiful Briny Sea that they're at our Urban Craft Show. But okay. their salts are amazing. And I use them like they have all kinds. So like um, they have a lavender one. So when I make granola, I often put it in there. They also have a honey one that I put in my granola. Okay. Um, and then they have like, I think I've mastered baby potato, roasted baby potatoes. But, you know. Everything's about salt, in my opinion. And no, no, salt's salt awesome. Something correctly. Yeah. So I think their French picnic salt is amazing, but um, they're not at Gobble Up, so it's kind of silly to talk about them. But uh, so we're gonna okay, but okay. I'm just I take a lot. I've like been baking more, so it's kind of hard to like you know. I, there's less products for the baking world that are found at Gobble Up, but I also okay. do a lot of cooking, and I feel like. Yeah, I've like used shallot oil, um, okay. way kitchens, but they're I haven't seen them in a while. They moved to California, okay. but um, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of stuff in our pantry that we've gotten from our Ringcraft stuff. Okay, I was just teasing you, I, I, <laughs> but I was just like, wait, you talk about cooking, and then you just the first the references of ramen and peanut butter and jelly, which are both fine. Don't get me wrong. I was just like, okay. I love peanut butter and jelly. Oh yeah, no, I, I totally, totally. Yeah. I, and it's fancy ramen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. No, I love it. It's fancy ramen. It's not a package drama. Ramen. It's not a pa- Okay. All right. So that's, yeah. All right. But before we go into the Urban Craft Uprising show, let's, let's, we had talked about this before we hit record. So tell me about the origin of Urban Craft Uprising to the best of your abilities. Cause you didn't, you weren't there when it started. But you've been there quite some time. What? So I, how did this thing get started? There were some other people that started it. It was a, from my understanding, a pretty big group of mostly women, if not all women, that started it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a vendor at the first one. It was in a building in Soto that was kind of funky, but it worked, and there was a huge line before it started. And, you know, I think they did an awesome job. It was just, I think, maybe a little bit of too many cooks in the kitchen, perhaps. And then um, only having one event. So they all spent their own money to make it happen. And I can imagine if you don't make any money, it's less motivating to keep going forward, especially Mm -hmm. if there were like too many cooks in the kitchen and people had different ideas. So um, there was some changes in the second year and then some changes in a few years after that. So um, yeah, that's how it all started. But I, you know, from a vendor's perspective, I thought it was such a good event and you just looked out, you know, before it started to this massive line and it was just busy the whole time and vendors were stoked. And I had been doing events for a while in Seattle. So I had seen some of my vendor friends that did not sign up and were like, damn, I just, you know, it was new. I didn't know what, if it was going to be good or bad or what, but it definitely had some energy to it that I think was exciting, especially in the time of craft shows kind of resurging because it's not like shows events haven't been around forever, but, um, (laughs) 
you know, it was like an indie, there was something new and different and exciting about it that you hadn't seen in a long time. And there were, you know, just a handful of other shows in the United States that you could probably rattle off at that time that were in business. So it definitely had a really cool energy that, you know, you want to, you, as a vendor, I was like, I want to do this thing every time it happens. So, okay. yeah. And then, and then you, you, then you came on board. And so let's talk about, let's just like flash forward to this year's upcoming. It's December 4th and 5th. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm on your website. I'm reading. <laughs> it's going to be at the Seattle center exhibition hall. Yeah. 10 to six on Saturday and 10 to five on Sundays. Yeah. Okay. COVID protocols in place, all those things that, you know, we're going to have to worry about. I'm going to show up and take a look on Saturday. Let's just say what sort of craft vendors am I going to find when I walk through the hall? I mean, honestly, at Irving craft, you'll find everything. There's people that do furniture. There's people that do puzzles. Um, Then we have the stand, you know, jewelry, but, I like to think that we have all different types of jewelry and I feel like there's something for everybody, including your parents. Um, And I feel like there's, it's, I love when I'm at the event and see our fans and customers that have been with us forever and they just come up and they're like, that was the best one yet. Like there was nothing in there I could have made myself. And so I feel like, they're just really good gifts. And I don't, I mean, last year was such a cluster cuss of, um, of a year <laughs> that right. um, I don't, I mean, in our house, we love shopping with small businesses and it's more fun to give those items as gifts. It's not to me, even if I'm shopping with handmade people, for some reason, I just don't like it as much when I'm doing it online. So mm-hmm. I don't, I feel like last Christmas, it was like a little lackluster for our household because of that. But um, it's just a feel good. You're supporting small businesses and people that are super passionate about what they're making. And you're talking to the person that made it. And it's, they're way more exciting gifts than stuff you can get online. Right. And so this year, approximately how many vendors are going to be there? Because you're probably still 15. 15 or 50? 50. 15? 50. Old ears. <laughs> okay. So there's going to be 150 vendors. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. That's a, how do you, so how do you coordinate all that? I, I mean, mean it's your hair's lot. not on fire. I'm looking at you right now. Your hair does not appear to be on fire. My, my hair <laughs> my would be, <laughs> <laughs> but, but how, yeah. So how does one coordinate 150 vendors for a two day event? I mean, honestly, I think we just have a well-oiled machine and we just all know what we need to do to make it happen and do our jobs and it happens. I don't, I mean, it's a lot of work. It's, I make the map. It's always a, a part of my job that brings me to tears because it's so many logistics <laughs> of what size booth you have. Do you want electricity? Do you want this? Do you want that? It's really, that part is really hard. Um, 
I'm sure I'll cry at other times. I usually do. Um, it's stressful, but it's also so rewarding when you see so many vendors that are just so happy. And I think we're really organized. So yeah, it's just kind of, I mean, if we do our jobs, it happens and it's, you know, we, I feel like there's a point in my job where I'm like, I haven't done enough to make this successful. And then I do some X, Y, or Z thing. And then I'm like, okay, we've done everything we can do to make this a success. And, you know, we can't put guns to people's heads and make them shop with certain vendors or anything, you know, and there is a part of that that falls onto the vendor to have like a really good display and to be friendly Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. But um, I feel like we all, we just pull it together and get it all done and then it happens. It's like planning a giant wedding, I'm assuming, and then getting divorced and planning another one six months later over and over and over again. Well, that doesn't sound like fun at all. <laughs> I mean, that just sounds horrible. I mean, come on. And I don't know which is worse in that scenario, planning the wedding or going through the divorce because weddings are <laughs> stressful and divorces are no fun having done both. Um, yeah, that's no, that's a man. So one of the things I love to ask people is have you guys ever thought, and so I'm going to put you on the spot. This is a, this is a, a you know, well, just let me, let me get it out and then we can figure it out from there. Okay. So did you guys ever have any ideas that you thought, Hey, if we do this, this will work great. It failed. Oh, and yeah. I asked because, and I asked because we always learn something. So what, what was an idea that you guys thought you'd try out, you know, and, and, and then, you know, it didn't work. And then, but I'm sure you learned something from the, ex, the experience. I feel like there's been a lot of little things that okay. haven't worked. And then there's a lot of comments from vendors or customers that were like, oh, maybe that's a good idea. And then we do it and we're like, that wasn't a good idea. Um, so a lot of people still make those comments and we're like, we did that. It did not work. Um, so give me an example. Give me an example of something that was brought up like, hey, let's let's have live farm animals walking through the exhibition hall. Nothing could go wrong, you know, type thing. Uh we used to have music. I mean, this was before my times, but we had uh-huh. music. There was a fashion show, which I thought was super cool. Um, but as a vendor, I did not. Um, it was very distracting. It mm-hmm. pulled all your customers away. It was really loud. So mm-hmm. it was really hard to talk to people. Um, we did an event this summer in Tacoma and this had nothing to do with us, but we had to have a part of our vendors um, with the Metro parks and Mm -hmm. unbeknownst to us, there was a person that claims to be a street church person that um, came to sing, but then was very aggressive in um, talking about church stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was very, um, anti like everything that we all probably stand for so you Mm -hmm. could see some vendors like visibly disturbed i was visibly disturbed um Mm -hmm. and we couldn't get rid of him and so that was an eye-opener of like outdoors versus indoors because we've always done more indoor shows Mm -hmm. um 
So it's just like everything's a learning lesson. We try our hardest to like make vendors have the best experience we could. And we did everything we could in our power to get rid of that person. Um, Mm -hmm. And apparently he's been complained about forever, but for some reason the police won't do anything about him here. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of learning lessons, but I feel like luckily there's been, I mean, my biggest fear is like someone showing up that paid for a booth that never happened to get on any of our paperwork and then they're not (laughs) on the map or something like that. But we have, has that ever happened? No, it's just like a huge fear of mine. Um, And I mean, people have been mistaken and think they have a booth, but they never paid for it. So that's their problem. (laughs) You know, that's their mistake, not ours. But um, I don't, nothing has been catastrophic, luckily. It's just like some things haven't worked and some things have. And I think that's also as from a vendor perspective, as a vendor myself, like there are certain shows I personally will not vend at that maybe another person would do great at, but I don't. Like, I don't like doing events where the craft part isn't the main event. Um, Like I did Maker Fair a long time ago Mm -hmm. in San Mateo. And it just wasn't, for how many people they get through those doors, it didn't Mm -hmm. financially pay off as much as I thought it should. But then there's other people there that probably do great and love it and do it every year. But, you know, I think, there is a responsibility for vendors to, you know, pick and choose what they want to do that works for them. But I don't luckily think any of our learning lessons have been catastrophic. Okay. In a average year, and I know with COVID it's a little hard, but what, how many people attend one of these events over two days? So we've had, um, I think one year we had like 15,000 we have it like two and a half years because we have a preview night on Fridays. So that's from five to nine. And um, I would say probably on average, it's more like 10 to 12,000. And I don't always feel like if something's more crowded, it doesn't mean necessarily you make more money because right. often the crowds just like, make it frustrating for people and they leave faster. Mm -hmm. So if it's like a good amount of people, then people feel like they're in, you know, involved in something that's fun, but then they also have the opportunity to like stay and really see every vendor and then even do like a lot of walkthroughs again. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but I would say that was like our average. 10, 10 to 10 to 12,000 people walking through. Yeah. And at the sales center ex- ex- exhibition hall, d- does that hall hold it fairly well? Is that a, is that, that's a pretty comfortable amount of people, right? I mean, I mean, it's crowded, had- but it's not, yeah. I don't, and the times are different. So like a lot of people come at the very beginning. So I would say if you like absolutely hate crowds, you should come <laughs> after three o'clock. Um, okay. Things kind of die out a little bit then, but you know, it's all hard to say now. I don't know what to expect, quite honestly. I know. And that's, but that's kind of the fun part of it too, though, isn't it? I mean, terrifyingly fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, as you're planning an event with, with, and now we've got, like you said earlier, we're all just kind of adapting our way to what our current normal, it looks like. 
Yeah. It changes seemingly hourly, but anyway, we won't go there. (laughs) What else should people know about urban craft? I mean, I don't know. Like if you love supporting small businesses and you love people that are passionate about their jobs. I feel like it's a great place to be. I, I'm sure that there's a lot of hesitations with what to do in COVID times. You know, I cannot rest assured everyone will be safe, but we are doing everything in our humanly, you know, in our right. power to make sure there's adequate ventilation and, um, you know, everyone's required to wear a mask and, Mm -hmm. you know, there's certain things we're not going to do this year, like having alcohol on Friday night, because it just seems like something where people would carry that around more and then not wear a mask. So, Mm -hmm. um, and I do feel really good about being in Seattle and I think people are really good about getting vaccinated and respect the mandates for the most part. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think that's probably what people will be curious about for this year. Um, you know, and we've been, a, we're also a small business. So mm-hmm. not only are we trying to support a bunch of small businesses that have been tremendously hit after a year and a half of this, but so have we. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, we're all just trying to keep going in these weird, bizarro times. And they are weird and bizarro times. Yes. When you're not organizing 150 (laughs) vendor shows and food shows and between two cities, what do you like to do for fun or relaxation and around, around, around where you live in the world? I love to read and obviously love to craft and cook. I feel like cooking is like my meditation time. Um, I got into yoga in COVID times, which has been really helpful for making a lot because your body starts to hurt when you make so much stuff. So that's been really helpful. Um, And we just uh, got married last year. Me and my husband got married last year in COVID times. So we um, didn't have a, giant wedding. So we saved a bunch of money and went and bought a camper instead. So we just got back from our honeymoon and that was great. And it was a good reminder to go outside and explore the worlds around you. And I feel like we live in such a beautiful place that I hope to do that more. So when we talked earlier, you guys had gone back to, to Ohio, right? And is that where you kind of started the journey back this way? And we only, you know, we only want to talk about Washington here, but along that journey, was there, what, where did you guys go? What was something interesting you saw along, along that, that journey from Ohio back here to Washington? Oh man, there was a lot. I mean, (laughs) we really wanted, I mean, when we were coming back, we really were aiming to get to Colorado and Utah, but we decided to do both would be too much um Mm -hmm. with time but we went to arrow rock missouri (laughs) which i did not know of and it was adorable in this historic town and i i mean there's 63 people that live there and 
I definitely don't want to be one of those people that lives there, but it okay. was really cute and had like a bar and a, the post office was adorable and only open on Saturdays. Um, so that <laughs> was a really cute town and the campsite there was really nice. Um, so that was like probably the most shocking place we went to or unexpected okay. place. And then um, we went to tell, you know, some ski towns. Um, sure. I had gone to Telluride like 25 years ago or so. And it's definitely way fancier than it used to be. But I was going to say it's changed, hasn't it? Yeah. I was like, whoa, yeah. okay. Well, good thing we're yeah. only here for a day. Um, right. We saw John Favreau. That was fun. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I don't, we went to Sun Valley too, which is another fancy ski. Sure. But I was shocked at how not fancy it felt. Like I really expected it to be like Whistler or Telluride after going there. But, uh-huh. um, my husband's cousin lives outside of there. And so we went into town a couple of times and I was like, wow, it's all like cute and not so <laughs> bougie as I thought it would be. So bougie. Okay. <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> you get it. Okay. How about coffee? Oh, yes. So we, uh, so before we went, I was saying we should do something like we eat something like my husband loves donuts. So I was like, we could eat a donut in every state. But then that sounded like a really bad idea. Um, so then I No, just, actually, that sounds like a really good idea. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> for him as a runner, he, he could probably eat all the donuts, but I did not want to do that. Um, oh. So then we decided to, well, then I started looking up coffee and we kind of, I had already said, like, I think I'm just going to give up coffee for while we're gone because I just thought it'd be like a coffee wasteland, quite honestly. But I managed to find really good coffee shops in like almost every weird, bizarre place we were. There were a few that were like not the best, but, you know, for coffee, I'm a total coffee snob. So um, you are a total coffee snob? Yeah, I'm a very, I mean, yes. So Okay. But I was surprised, like, I can't have dairy. So I was surprised that every place we went to has oat milk now. And that was cool. And we found some really great, like, Bozeman. We had, like, the really good coffee there. And yeah, just all over. It was crazy. So how about Washington? What, where's, where do you go for coffee? Well, it's really like Herkimer. Um, Oh, okay. I really like Victrola. That's, um, we go to Bluebeard because we live in Tacoma. Okay. That's probably our favorite here in Olympia. Where where in Olympia? The Olympia Coffee. Olympia Coffee Company? Yeah. Okay. I like them. But, you know, there's less to choose from in Tacoma than Seattle. Well, you've got, there's an Olympia Coffee Company. Isn't there an Olympia Coffee in Tacoma? Yeah, it's on Proctor. Yeah. So we go there and then I really like fresh flowers because I really like their baked goods. Okay. So, yeah. All right. And so when you drink coffee, what are you drinking? Although you already, you already ruined it as far as I'm concerned because you added something to, I just drink black coffee. So oh, you do. Tea, what, what do you, what are you drinking? I'm What's a your latte person. And honestly, okay. I can only have one shot or I'll like punch myself in the face. So I can't have too much caffeine. And even, or, I mean, I just can't go to sleep. Like last night I was like, I had iced tea at four o'clock. I'm going to like never sleep. And luckily yesterday I did, but there have been nights, even with like a couple 
chunks of chocolate. I'm like, I didn't sleep that well. So So you're really sensitive to caffeine. Yeah. And I also battle with insomnia. So it's like, I've tried to take that sleeping thing seriously because sleep is good. (laughs) Sleep is good. How about food in Tacoma? What are you finding? I mean, I know with COVID, we're not going out as much, but there's, there's, Tacoma has improved a lot. Um, And I got in trouble for talking bad about Spokane reportedly on an episode. So I got to be careful. I don't talk bad about Tacoma right now. And I grew up in Tacoma. I lived in Tacoma. Um, But like the whole Proctor district, six Ave, there's a lot of things going on. Uh, The hilltop area is changing a lot too. There's some really cool stuff there. What have you guys stumbled across in your, in your shopping travels, whether it's finding interesting places to buy food or go out to eat. What have you found in Tacoma? Honestly, we've moved here right before COVID more or less. So we haven't gotten to explore Tacoma as much as we would like to, but we've had great Indian food and especially for takeout. Cause I don't know what your takeout experiences have been, but sometimes it's like, I've heard of really long waits or, you know, the food is cold or just not as good, but, um, gateway to India on sixth Avenue was great and everything was hot and it was really good. So we really liked that place. There's a um, Vietnamese place on 6-2 and there's a really amazing mochi donut place in Gig Harbor that we've paid to go over there just for their mochi donuts. <laughs> called so you paid, the, you paid the toll to go over the bridge to get donuts. Yes, they're so good. I mean, we have to okay. get like a dozen when we go, but... Well, yeah. To make it worth it. It's really, really good. Um, And then what else? I mean, there's like a Datiki hut is close to our house and they have great um, Masubi. Really? Yeah. I have not heard of that one. Okay. I mean, you know, you have to like, yeah. We we threw the dice and it was shockingly delicious. And so okay. we've told a lot of people to go there. And okay. then my hot, we love the Red Hot, that hot dog place. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's I don't I mean I could talk about food forever in Seattle, but I've had more experience. Well, with give the me food. give me a couple of Seattle places. That's okay. I'm a we, big we fan of Revel and Jewel. In okay. Free um yeah, they're both in Fremont. I just think right. they make amazing dessert and amazing food. I just think they're really good. Um yesterday we went to Dumpling Generation in Edmonds and I love dumplings and that place is great, but I also obviously love Din Typhon. Um oh my gosh, there's so much in Seattle. But it's oh, yeah, almost like cool. overwhelming. So mm-hmm. I don't know, quite honestly, like you go out to eat so much, then in COVID times, I just started cooking more because I was really scared of COVID. And now half the time I'm like, I'd rather just cook food. Interesting. Okay. So, right. I mean, we are not like, we have sadly not gone out that much. Well, and we don't, I mean, here we don't either. And You have pie bus though. That place is cool. Yeah. I was this cool. And uh, I mean, there's some cool stuff here. Don't get me wrong, but it part of the reason I always ask about coffee and food is because I'm missing it over here. I just can't, I don't have, I, we just don't have the selection and the, 
you know, the number of choices that you do over in Puget Sound. And so it's always like, oh, yeah, add that to the list for next time I come over to go try something different. Yeah. You know, and so I've got my, you know, I got my places that I would always go, the tried and trues, but it's like, I think it's better to like listen to people like Dumpling Generation. I had not heard of that. Now I will have to go try that next time I'm in, in. Okay. See, so I wouldn't have necessarily gone and tried it without your bringing it up. Yeah. Now, if I have a bad meal, I'm going to call you at 3 a.m. to let you know because you've got insomnia. It'll be awake. Yeah. You'll be. Um, oh. no. Have you gone to Ed Rama in no, Tacoma? No. That's like the nicer restaurant. It's really adorable. I love it in there. And they have okay. really good food. We have not gone there since before COVID times. Um, okay. And then. What is it? And Wooden City Pizza is really good in Tacoma, too. I haven't tried that either, and I, I do love pizza. Oh, wait. It's not called pizza. It's just Wooden City. Sorry. Wooden City. Okay. I have not, not, not tried that. I will. I actually do make a list, in it, and then I kind of like, okay, next time I'm in Tacoma, let's go check these places out. You know? Yeah. Although it sounds like I'm going to have to go to Gig Harbor for donuts. Um Okay. <laughs> All right. There's, there's the biggest endorsement of this episode, folks. Gig Harbor. Milkview Donuts. donuts. All right, there we go. So let's wrap this up. And why don't you let people know where they can find out more about Urban Craft and the upcoming shows and all of that. And then they can check it out and go and support small businesses that are doing some really cool things in the crafting and food space. So you can go to our website, which is urbancraftuprising.com. I also recommend um, following us on Instagram because a lot of we also in signing up for newsletters, but we get a lot of emails after we've juried for shows saying, dang, I didn't know that (laughs) the deadline was already passed. So if you follow us on, you know, numerous platforms, then I feel like you're less likely to miss out on that stuff. And so on Instagram, how can people, what's the, what's the same urban craft uprising and same for maybe Pinterest or Facebook as well. Yes. Facebook urban craft uprising. Then we also have gobble up Northwest. So for the food shows, but there's a portal. So you, we can get you there from urban craft uprising. Perfect. Well, I'm excited. I'm going to have to make it over for one of the two events. Yeah, you should. Probably, probably the food one. <laughs> yeah, probably the food one. Also because it's uh, weather-wise, it's a little safer coming over the pass earlier than later and all of that. Plus, did I mention it's a food one? <laughs> so anyway, I thank you for taking the time to come on and, and talk about uh, what you're doing and what Urban Craft is doing. I think it's uh, donuts in Gig Harbor. Um <laughs> Milkview, I want a discount. <laughs> there you go. We'll put a link to them in the show notes too. How's that? Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank well, you. let me ask one last question. One last question. Is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't? Something else that you want to bring up? Is there, and it can be no, that's fine, but just you get the last word. I mean, I feel like because we're such a small business, which I don't think people really know that much. We're very accessible people. You might have to wait a day or two to get an email back, but usually you don't. But I think there's a lot of misinformation out in the world and even about craft show organizers or events. And the best way to find out is to ask one of us. And we're 
two people that do this and both very accessible people. So if you want to email us any questions about being a vendor or a customer or concerns you have, um, you know, we'll get back to you. Okay. Well, thank you for being on. Yeah. Thank you so much. Say hello. If you come to gobble up. I will. Okay. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.